Good morning, everybody. Welcome here. Good to see you all. Why don't we start with a word of prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, we come before you. I thank you that you are a speaking God. You are a loving God. You come alongside of us and you love us and you teach us and you guide us and you heal us. Thank you that we're here together. Lord, would you make today count towards eternity? Would you speak uh, to our hearts first, to our minds second? Would you build us up? Would you encourage us? Would you fill us with excitement and enthusiasm in this area of fasting? Would we be open to new ideas if the new idea is exactly what you have for us? Would you get all glory and honor from our time together now? Amen. It's an empty plate. It's an empty plate. Sometimes when we think of fasting, that's the season we're in, all we consider is the empty plate. Fasting, I'm just going to be pushing nothing around nothing. So often we, th- we, we consider that. We think, I'm going to have to give up. It's going to be hard. I'm going to have to go without. But I want to invite us to consider that that empty plate, which is figurative, and don't hear me say it must be food that you fast from, because I don't believe that at all. But what's gained from that empty plate is really what we're wanting to talk about today. The emptiness of the plate is making room for the fullness of Christ in our lives. And to me, that's fasting. To me, that's the point. Not that the greatest thing speaking would be our stomachs during the fast, but it would be God. You know, the world's a little confused with what fasting means. A little confused. If you Google fasting, you're going to get the world's perspective. Or should I say, the world's diet plan. They'll introduce you to ideas like the 6 or the 16-8 fast or the 5-2 fast. These are ratios of times during the day, if it's a 16-8, it means I fast for 16 hours, I eat for 8 hours, and the benefit is I get rock-hard, screaming awesome abs. So you mean to tell me that if I don't eat for 16 hours, I will gain abs of steel. I get all that and I just have to give up food for 16 hours? They've missed the mark. 
to say the least. Because if all we have to look forward to at the end of a fast is a better image in the mirror, it wasn't worth a thing. Especially knowing the heart that Jesus has for all that he wants to do in these times of fasting. I think the heart of Jesus is full for these days. As his people each in their own way, throw aside some of the things that hinder them to hopefully grasp and hold so much more of Jesus in their lives. It's the craziest transaction you've ever heard. It's not one for one. Jesus' ratio was never, if you give me this meal, I'll give you the equivalent of one meal missed in me. With a heart that says, I don't care what I have to give up to get more of Christ, He will open the gates of Himself and pour it all over our lives. We fast not to be hungry and to do without. We fast to feast in the Lord. We feast in the Lord. The world's very confused. Let's read together. Mark 2, 18 to 22. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but yours do not? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of untrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. When we pick up this story in Mark 2, 18 to 22, Jesus is at least halfway through five major confrontations with the religious leaders of his day. They didn't like when he told the paralyzed man his sins were forgiven instead of simply healing him. Could your miraculous just be that a paralyzed guy can walk please because I don't know how comfortable we feel about you saying your sins are forgiven secondly he called Levi the tax collector and not only that he dined at his house amongst other tax collector and less than reputable people and the Pharisees and leaders didn't like that they didn't like that Jesus was not fasting with everyone else They didn't like that his disciples ate grain on the Sabbath. That would be the fourth confrontation. And the fifth, they didn't like that he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Doing good on the Sabbath, that's just crazy. And it seemed to me 
that Jesus was on a let's attack empty religion, cold hearts, and regulation after regulation world tour. He was sweeping the nation, confronting the religious leaders of his day who couldn't look past their religion and their rules. And the fact that Jesus didn't meet the mold that they had already made for him. But what about this? What if a husband decided on Mother's Day to give his wife breakfast in bed? And instead of gratitude, she said, Honey, do you know how hard it is to get the egg yolks out of the sheets? Bring that plate away. I don't want it. Thanks, but no thanks. These sheets, they're like... Egyptian. And yoke, and anyways. Bring it away. I don't want it. Thank you. What if the son that was woken up by his father to watch Team Canada play overseas at 3 in the morning on a school day said, Dad, you know I can't get out of bed before 7 a.m. So the game's just going to have to wait. Thank you for making breakfast really early and making this time together, but... I'm just going to follow the rules instead. Because breaking the rules for, for this, for time with you, that's, that's not going to work. And yet in our fasting, we sometimes do this. Our fasting, if we're not careful, if our heart is not fixed and focused on the Lord, can become about rules. I do this, I do not do that. And in that, we miss the opportunities for breakfast in bed with the Lord, for early morning hockey with the Lord. We miss it with all the rules and regulations. What I want to say today is in Jesus, we fast in the fullness of Him and not in the emptiness of being without some of the things that we enjoy. Our fast is not about emptiness, but the fullness that we receive instead. This is the heart of Jesus as we empty ourselves for more of Him as we fast. A fast from fill in the blank for yourself is a feast into the Lord. So I want to look at three different ways that we can fast in the fullness of Jesus. The first is this. So I want to look at hope, satisfaction, and relationship. So firstly, hope, not grief. Hope, not grief as we fast in Jesus. Matthew's version of this story goes like this in Matthew 9:15. And Jesus said to them, "Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them?" So Matthew instead of saying fast says mourn. Can the wedding guests mourn? And it's this idea that 
And we, we all see it in our fasts from time to time. This is a sad time. It's a somber time. It's a hard time. I think Jesus has so much more for us than that. He says in Matthew 6.16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What do you think would happen if you went to this wedding for your brother or sister, maybe your first cousin, and in preparation for the wedding, you found your sharpest, darkest, nicest pressed funeral outfit? And what if upon the assembly line, when it became your turn to greet the bride and groom, you you kind of shuffled up and you kept your eyes on the ground for as long as you could and, and with the most sincere look in your eyes, went to the new bride and groom and said, my condolences. God's going to get you through this. It's going to be okay. They would kind of Do you know where we are right now, dude? Like, you're at a receiving line for a wedding. Where are the tears and the happiness and the huggings? Where, where are those things? You're out of place. Your grief is out of place. It's not appropriate. Now, God may take us through grief in our fast. But that's by the direction of the Lord, not the process of fasting. That's a different thing altogether. What if our fasting was given away by how giddy we were? Get that goofy goofy grin off your face again. Are you fasting again? Because you're just giddy all over the place. You're making me sick. You're either overtired or you're fasting. Because you're just all out of control with goofiness. Does that, happen? Does that ever happen? He's hugging everybody again. I think, you know, I think he's fasting. Yep. Telling everybody he loves them. Hugs and kisses, even if they don't ask, it's just, he's fasting. We don't get that. That's why Jesus has to say, wipe the gloom off your face. Hope, not grief. So, so what's the hope in our fast? I mean, firstly, the fact that our fasts are life-giving at all. It's a testimony to all that Jesus has bought for us. That's the reason why a fast can be hopeful. You need something to hope in to have hope. Hebrews 9.19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, these holy places that were for generations off limits, 
And to think that now, through Jesus, the Holy of Holies is available. And as we fast in the Lord, as we cling to all that He has done, our fasts can be involved in that holy place through Jesus. The rooms of our hearts, it's all available to us now through Jesus. We can hope that there is so much more potential in our fasts than what would have been. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith that speaks of great hope founded and anchored in who Jesus is and what He bought. It is the surest hope with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Through Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, in faith, as we fast, the Lord gives us access to His throne room. Through Jesus, that's available to us. You see, fasting in the past was grieving and pleading that God would save. Fasting after Jesus is the celebration in the fact that He has and continues to save. We're at a totally different era. It's no longer, God, why have you left us? Why are we on our own? When are you going to come and save us? We fast now in the reality that He has and He is. He is continuing to save us. There's great hope in that. Your kingdom come is not saying, why haven't you shown up yet? But thank you that we have hope that you show up again and again and again and again. It's a beautiful thing. So firstly, we have hope, not grief, as we fast with Jesus. Secondly, we have satisfaction, not emptiness. Satisfaction, not emptiness. Mark 2.20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Then they will fast on that day. Why didn't the disciples fast when Jesus was there? With Jesus, they were already in the fullness of life. Whether they knew it or not, they were lacking in nothing. The God of the universe in human form was eating with them, sleeping with them, teaching them, small talking with them, although I don't believe that Jesus did small talk. But He was doing life with them. He was doing life with them. Jesus invites his followers to fast so that he would be among them in a powerful way again. He says this, John 6, 54. This this invitation to be totally satisfied in Jesus. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. 
the disciples weren't a big fan of this saying. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And Jesus replies to them, do not take offense at this. Then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Jesus is trying to highlight to his followers, I am full satisfaction. As much as bread is to your survival, I am in its truest sense here to satisfy. Set Free Weekend about 10 years or so ago, uh, somebody was ministering after one of the sessions and, uh, and he missed lunch and came late and his response uh, just seared into my heart because he said, because everyone said like, you missed lunch. You're going to be super hungry now. And he's like, guys, no. I'm so full. So full in the Lord. And it was just this little picture. This little picture of how satisfying Christ is meant to be. And how he supersedes every basic and complicated need we have as people. He supersedes it all. I'm in school for counseling at SBC. Uh, part-time, so if you catch me right before my funeral, I'll have something to say. There's a guy named Maslow who introduced something called a hierarchy of needs in the mid-1900s. Hierarchy of needs. And he explained that people can only move on to the next level of need once they have satisfied the one underneath it. And there were seven tiers. So you start with your physical needs. So you need hunger, or you need to eat, you need to drink, and you need to rest. Only then can you move on to the next tier. Once you get there, you can worry about your safety. Once you get your safety figured out, you can worry about belonging to a group, to having acceptance. Once you get that figured out, you can move on to your cognitive sense. So you can start learning things. Start becoming enlightened. From there, the aesthetic needs. So you can start thinking that art is awesome. I don't know why that's so funny to me. It's arts ministry, kill me. Good job, Darian. We have fun at Calvary. From there, self-actualization. You can be all that you can be. Once you've gotten steps one through five figured out, now you can start being all you can be. Reaching your true potential. Step seven is helping others do the same. And that's the pinnacle of humanity. And yet, as we see in fasting, Jesus doesn't work that way. Truth be told, we don't even need to have our food and water and rest 
all together to move up the line. Because fasting tells us that fullness of Jesus is the only real foundation we need. And everything else builds on that. And it just builds better. Our true transcendence is actually when we stay at level one. Fullness of Jesus. That's where any actualization is really going to happen. So this fasting and the fullness of Jesus, all that he has really just blows Maslow's hierarchy of needs out of the water. So satisfaction instead of emptiness. Thirdly, relationship, not rules. Fasting in Jesus is built on relationship with Him, not on a set of rules. In the first century, the Christians had a handbook called the Didache. A little handbook, a how-to. This is how you fast, this is how you baptize, this is how you pray. And it taught the early church how to be a believer in the first century. It says this, Let not your fasts be with the hypocrites. They were judgmental in the Didache. For they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. So don't be like the hypocrites who fast twice a week on these days. Instead, fast twice a week on those days. Then you won't be, then you're going to be good. To be fair, the heart of the Didache was to differentiate the Christians from the Jewish side of fasting. Not to be judgmental, I'm sure. But we love rules. We always have. Rules provide safety. They provide structure. All good things. They can control us though. Mark 2, 21 and 22 again says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I don't know why, but I found this passage so hard. Just so, so difficult to understand. But I do believe it speaks to this point that Jesus is calling us to see fasting as an opportunity for relationship and not for something that we jump through hoops and follow rules in. Lest we miss the point of the fast completely. You see, the truth is, once that old wineskin was used up, it was unable to hold anything else, let alone new wine, which would expand and burst a wineskin that was already tapped out. Jesus is saying we need to view fasting differently because through him it is different. It is different. As I said before, we're not waiting for God to do something We're resting and celebrating and seeking the things He's already done for us. 
And we get to do it relationally, which is crazy amazing. It's not rules. Galatians 3.21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Romans 9.16 So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's the mercy of God that we have a fast so full of life. In Jesus, God has done it all. By sending Jesus, He has bridged the divide between Himself and mankind. By giving His perfect Son, He's paid the penalty for our sin. As Rob said, He has adopted us. He has paid the fee. Jesus first lived a perfect life, then a totally undeserved death for you, for me, for our church, for every believer. We celebrated this in communion today. And it's this relationship that Jesus wants to have with us that was worth every drop. If you think about the cost, it really makes it clear the worth that we have in Him. How much He wants a relationship with us. And yet sometimes we take the relationship out of our fast. Think of it this way. I already said that I attend college and and. College costs a lot of money. So what if I decided, okay, I need to get serious about college here. I'm going to go five courses instead of one. And instead of living at my house, I'm going to get a dorm room as well. And then I better make sure I have a meal plan. And I better make sure that I buy all the books. You would need a mortgage for all that. So everything's in place. Yet what would you say to me if I decided, none of that means I have to actually go to class. You mean I have to follow through on all the intentions of these things? Can't I just pay the price and get the books and sign up for this and that? You mean I actually have to go to class and learn and do the work? Why is that important? Because the cost of school, the cost of dorm rooms and books and meals all make it possible for the great reward that college can be. The great reward is the learning itself. Just like the great reward of our fasting is not the fast itself, but Jesus that we experience deeper through our fasting. So how can we fast relationally? I believe Jesus is calling us to be a relational fasting people. And there are four ways. The first is this. Fasting is as much a discipline of the heart 
as it is a discipline of our bodies. I fasted from uh, football, like watching sports, I don't know, six, seven years ago. So I didn't watch the games, I didn't participate in some of this stuff, and, and I thought, okay, I'm answering the call. Instead, I went to work and talked about football during the fast. Faithful. I missed everything. I missed it all, and I thought, getting rid of this one thing is good. But I filled it with nothing better. In fact, in my heart, I hadn't fasted at all. This could probably be a point of most mornings, but don't do what I do, okay? Don't do that. You know, I don't don't think God is super concerned, necessarily, about the what when we fast. I think he's really concerned about the why and the for who. Whether it's food, whether it's TV, God knows what's blocking your heart up. But it's that deep desire to seek the face of the Lord in our fast that really matters to Him. And that is often the best way to judge how we should fast. Hebrews 12 says, let us, lay, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is fasting in a nutshell. Laying aside the things that hinder us so that we can even quicker run towards the Lord. Did you know that every pound lost for a runner gives them one or two seconds faster per mile when they run? There's like a website that has ratios and all that. Like you can... So weight that we carry really influences our race. And our race is for more of Jesus. Secondly is this. Our fast is deeply personal between us and Jesus. Deeply personal. There are times in our Christian life to proclaim. We've proclaimed this morning already a great deal. There's times to sit quietly at the feet of Jesus as He speaks to us precious, precious personal things. We shouldn't feel pressured to post how the fast is going on Instagram. However Instagram works. You shouldn't do that. Take a picture and comment. No dinner again. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be honest with the people who ask us, I notice you're not eating supper today, or your TV hasn't been used in a few days. 
but it's the heart of cherishing what God wants to do in all of our lives as we fast with Him. doesn't mean that group fasts are wrong either. We all need to stand with each other and carry each other. Fasting as a group, as a church, is a good thing. But the other thing I want to say about a deeply personal fast between us and the Lord is we're all made to receive love differently. There are five love languages and we often have a dominant one and and maybe a secondary one and we, we like to receive and give love in those same ways. Whether it's touch, time, gifts, words, service, And the people that are most precious to us, we like to love that way. And the beautiful thing about a personal fast with the Lord is He owns all of those love languages. And He knows full well how to relate with us. And how He wants us to relate with Him. It's very hopeful for me. Thirdly is this, Jesus doesn't give us a pass or fail grade when we fast. Often we can think during a fast that everything hinges on us getting 100% on the test. One wrong snack, one TV slip, too much screen time, and it's just over. And we're missing a lot of the opportunity that God wants to come and actually care for us, and speak to us in those moments. It's not a pass and fail system with Him. See, the Pharisees got very stuck on the rules. God the Father is not going to do that. He wants to walk with us in these things. Don't get caught up in the oops I slipped up of the fast. Instead, keep talking with Jesus about it. Lastly is this, how we fast relationally with the Lord. This is important. Let Jesus set your agenda for your fast. And do the prayer book. But let Jesus set the agenda. And do the prayer book. Jesus knows full well all that he has for you in this fast. Full well. He's already planned for you to walk through it. It says in our passage, the disciples were instructed to fast when the bridegroom is taken away from them. He doesn't say, when I'm gone, get really sad and wish that I was back. He says, fast that nothing would hinder you from seeking me fully. And knowing my presence. See, the, Jesus kept the disciples going at a pretty good pace. And I'm sure they didn't know one moment from the next what ministry with Jesus looks like. And that's the same way with us. Giving ourselves to the Holy Spirit, giving ourselves fully to a fast, we can't be sure what Jesus is going to want to do with us. But we can be sure it's going to be for our good. And it's going to really, really, really pay off. 
Maybe Jesus wants to prepare us for a ministry opportunity. Maybe he wants to prepare us for persecution. Maybe he wants us to focus and really press in and interceding for the people around us. Maybe he wants to take us through victory. Victory over sin, over our flesh, over the world we live in. We don't know. We can trust that he surely does. Whatever it is, if we seek him in our fast, it will be made clear to us. I want to close with a verse. Which is the heart of the invitation to expect big things from the Lord. To put aside whatever would come in between us and Him because what we can expect to receive back from Jesus Himself is infinitely greater. It says this in Psalm 63, 1-8. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hand. My souls will be satisfied as with rich and fat food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This psalm I see as a two-minute movie trailer. And after seeing the trailer for the movie, for those of you that are really gung-ho about it, you get your lawn chair out, you get your rain gear out, and you go and you sit outside the movie theater for a day so that you don't miss it. How much fasting happens in those moments. I'm fasting from family dinner tonight because I'm camping out for the best movie that I've never seen yet. I'm fasting from my bed. I'm potentially fasting from going to work, which I don't think quite is a fast, but but it's the invitation of the Lord in this psalm. I am worth you fasting for all that I have for you, all that I am. God is totally worth it. This fast, my prayer for you is this, that we would deeply enjoy the Lord and that whatever He is asking us to give up would pale in comparison to the hope, the satisfaction, and the relationship that we're going to find in Him. I'm going to pray. Lord, I ask that You would Fill our hearts just where we are at with an expectation, whether we had one before or not, of the greatness and the fullness that can be found in you as we forego some of the lesser things of life. 
I pray you would fill us with hope in all that you have for us. That the decisions would be easy knowing all that we get in return. We get you. Lord, would you do powerfully amazing out-of-the-box things for all of us, for Calvary Chapel, for this city, as we fast this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.